you want to try some really good instant coffee, go to csinstant.coffee, use the code ADVENTURE at checkout, and it'll save you 50%. Long supporters of the show, so I really appreciate them, and I'd really appreciate it if you went and supported them. Thank you. We get closer to the edge, and it says, you know, it's got one of those steep grade um, signs, you know, check your brakes and all that, and we're like, oh, yeah, it's about to be some, some free miles. And out from in that freaking rest stop, man, we heard this huge bang. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we hear stories of adventure from every corner of the planet. We interview all sorts of folks who are using their sport to explore the world around them and give you the inspiration you need to get out there and have some fun. Hey folks, hope you had a good weekend. You probably remember Dan Vinson from episode 499, where he's talking about his company, Monkey, and that's M-O-N-K-I-I. And uh, it's basically workout equipment that you can take anywhere, you know, strap it around trees to branches, around boulders and rocks to your, your doorway. I actually have what's called the Pocket Monkey. It's these bars that you can do a ton of workouts with, and you just put it in a doorway And it works really well, and it packs down to literally fit in your pocket. So if you travel, you can have just really good workouts anywhere you are. And um, Dan and his partner are the ones that created that, and they did a Kickstarter and raised a bunch of money, and so that's what they do now. And I had him on episode 499 to talk about that experience and what that was like, basically having an idea for the outdoor industry and turning it into reality. Well, this episode is actually him interviewing me for his show, which is called Live Wild or Die. And he talks about training and uh, nutrition, you know, himself. And every once in a while, he brings someone on to to do an interview. And he brought me on a couple weeks ago. And so this episode is actually him interviewing me, like I said. But I put his side of the interview and my side of the interview, both recorded independently, put them together. And it worked pretty well. You know, there's a few spots in the interview that, that the audio overlaps and it's a little bit muffled. But other than that, it sounds really good. And yeah, I really appreciate him having me on his show and uh, to talk about some of my early adventure experiences and some stories. It was really fun to be in the other side of the uh, of the interview, and I realize when I'm being interviewed, I say like a lot, so I apologize for that. I was editing the show and said, man, I, I said like like 800 times in this episode. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Dan and I had become really good friends after uh, he was on the show, and so we've been hanging out some and uh, yeah, decided to do another interview. So I hope you enjoy and uh, check out everything he's doing. Everything is in the show notes if you need reference. So, all right, let's get into the interview. What's up, monkeys? Welcome to episode number 44 of the Live Wild or Die podcast. I'm stoked. <clears throat> to have my buddy Mason Gravely. He's a wild man. He's the host of the Adventure Sports Podcast. He also works for an awesome company called Athletic Brewing, which I mentioned a few episodes back. And uh, he's just, he's been on adventures all over the country and was really inspiring to me. So I really appreciate him coming on. Dang. That's awesome. Thanks, Dan, for having me on. Monkey Dan, my apologies. <laughs> and, uh, we were talking about this before, but I remember vividly the first time I ever heard your story and I was in Italy. I was on a train. 
I think I was going between Cinque Terre to Florence, and a buddy of mine had sent me this episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast, and it was you telling about your bike touring adventures all over North America, really. And uh, the one that really struck a chord with me, well, I guess there was two. One was you rode your bike from Alaska back to Florida. So I was thinking we could kind of talk about that and share that story to begin. Dude, yeah, absolutely. And I, my apologies, um, UPS driver just pulled off and my dog's barking, but uh, <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to mute my side and yell at him when I need to. But <laughs> yeah, man, like you know, what 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 part of it do you want to hear? Because uh, it's crazy, it's crazy. That was almost that was 2011, so almost 10 years ago now, and that nuts how quickly time goes by oh absolutely well you know you know for me what what was cool to me is how i remember you talking about the story of you and your buddy in your dorm room just how how the initial concept came up let's just start there and then uh we can chip away yeah so man i i had gone to africa that summer on like a you know service trip and um i lived in this super cheap apartment i was in college at the time i had a couple years left and my buddy and I were just itching for adventure. You know, we're at that time of life where, you know, you're kind of coming of age. You're getting in, you know, you're getting ready to get out of school. Adulthood is coming, but you're also, you know, pretty autonomous as a person. You can make a lot of your own choices. You know, we were taking out, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in student loans. So apparently we had enough responsibility to do that, but uh, also kind of young and free enough to, dream big like children in a way so it's you know that age is really cool because you just your imagination is huge um your discipline might, might not be that great but you're also your body's really capable for a lot of us and so uh, we were both played basketball at this small college in florida and I, I wasn't playing that year i hadn't played for a couple years and um we were sitting on our couch he he was gonna roommate with me he was my roommate the year before and I was living alone this semester, but he always came over between classes. It was right across the street from the school. I had an apartment, and we had a big world map on the wall, um, super old world map that I got for like a couple bucks at a yard sale. It still had USSR. <laughs> <laughs> and just so many places had changed, but it was still just it's a cool thing to have and you know, for a college dorm, and it was enormous. And he and I were just reminiscing about you know, things we had heard people done. We had, you know, we were just discovering like things like the Appalachian Trail existed. People like John Muir. I don't even know if I knew where Yosemite was at that point. You know, this is central Florida. We don't know a lot about the West when you aren't aren't taken out there as a kid or something. And so we heard about these two guys in National Geographic that, um, two 18 year olds that, that, went by human power from one, the northern magnetic pole to the southern magnetic pole and we just thought that was the coolest thing unfortunately one of the guys actually died not you know a few years after that in a climbing accident um i didn't find that out till honestly pretty recently but uh those that kind of started this conversation we were like you know what what do we do what can we do and paul's like my buddy paul who went with me he's like dude let's just let's do the Appalachian Trail or something. And I'm like, well, what can we do in a summer? You know, we have two months off essentially from school. And he goes, let's just ride our bikes somewhere. Dude, we don't even have bikes, but okay, we'll get bikes. <laughs> I'm like, where do you want to go? And he goes, why don't we just go as far away as we can from home and, and bike back? 
And I don't know what, but we looked at the map and thought, you know, obviously you can go farther than this, but we said, why don't we just go to Alaska at one way and get bikes and just ride them all the way home, you know, in a summer, but back to school, essentially back to our apartment. And that's what we did. And I remember when he, we, we had like a 10 minute conversation about it before he had to leave for another class. And he was walking out the door and he said, he's really analytical and kind of type A. He goes, I give this a 20% chance of happening. And he walked out and I'm like, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. I don't know what that means, but 20%, that's a lot more than two, you know, or five. So that's kind of, we just started planning from there, man. And that was, you know, probably six months before we left. You know, that's, I miss that time, man. And, uh, you know, I'd, I've never done an adventure that huge, but there is, it's, it, to me, it was always the imagination for these things. It's just, you know, I, I didn't, as a younger kid, my family, we weren't super outdoorsy. We weren't, we wouldn't do like these big backpacking trips or anything like that. So I just, I didn't have the imagination for it until pretty much after college, but you know, just hearing stories like this, it really, it makes me think what, what kind of could have been. So try not to live in the past, but think forward. And one thing I wanted to ask you about that Alaska trip is, is what's that first day like? You, you get to, you, you flew into Fairbanks? Yeah, flew into Fairbanks and actually started there. So you land, like, what's that, just that first day like? I mean, with this huge journey ahead of you, just what's going through your head? What's that like? <laughs> well, dude, uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to back up just a hair and tell you how we ended up going to Fairbanks. Um, you know, we actually, and we missed our flight to Fairbanks the first time from Anchorage, but uh, I was really stressing when we were planning about where to, you know, do this trip, like, like where to either go to Anchorage or Fairbanks. We actually had a friend on the basketball team from Anchorage. So that was obvious, like, let's go to his house. He's cool. He'd love to host us over the summer, but we didn't feel right about it for some reason. And we decided to just buy tickets to Fairbanks. And I remember one time, you know, uh, working with my dad in the backyard. We do construction and painting, so we're filthy all the time. And he's like, hey, man, you want to go over to my friend's house after work one day? During spring break, actually, so not long. We left it in May, so spring break was like in March or April. It was not long before we left. And I'm like, Dad, I don't want to go to your friend's house. Like, there's a bunch of old dudes. Those are your friends. I don't want to go over there. <laughs> He's like, nah, you should go with us. And we go, I go to the party. There's a dude there who we get to talking about the trip. And he's like, you know what? My neighbor has family down from Alaska right now. You should come over tomorrow morning and meet them. I forgot all about it, actually. But this guy calls me the next day. It ends up being a half a mile from my dad's house. So I go over there first thing in the morning. It's pouring rain, so we couldn't go to work anyway. And there's this old couple sitting on the couch. And I'm like, hey, you know, are y'all the, the folks from Alaska? And they're like, yeah. Are you the dude riding his bike from Fairbanks to here? I said, yeah. They said, I was like, well, where do you live? They said, we live in Fairbanks. I was like, no kidding. I, that's where I'm flying into. Like of all the places in Alaska to be, I know that's a relatively big city, but it's a huge state. They were like, yeah, we live like two miles from the airport. I was like, well, you, will you be there in early May? They were like, yeah, we'll pick you up. You can stay with us. And I said, no kidding. I said, well, we're we're planning to uh, build an orphanage in Uganda, fundraising for this. And they were like, no kidding. We were missionaries in Uganda for like 20 years. 
are you serious? And I, then I said, is there a bike shop in town that we can kind of like, we don't know anything about, we don't even have bikes at this point. It's two months before we leave. They're like, yeah, we, they said, no kidding. I said, we actually own the bike shop in Fairbanks, Alaska. And I was like, what? They were like, we have since sold it to a friend, but you know, we started it. We're still involved. It's huge. It's like a, it's like a Bass Pro Shop, man. And so, I mean, it's enormous place. And, um, Sure enough, I wrote down my ticket number and, and flight and everything and times, and I didn't talk to him one time for the next two months, and we land in Fairbanks, and they're waiting for us, this 95-year-old couple, and uh, we stay with him for two and a half days before they send us off, and it was just the coolest thing. It was awesome. They were 95 years old? Yeah, they were both in their 90s. They traveled the world. He had spent like 40 years in the military, and what was the other cool thing was ever since retirement, which had been like... 40 years ago, he had driven from Alaska to Florida every year, twice, you know, coming down and going back as snowbirds. And so he knew everything about the route and was just basically able to educate us on bears, on the Alaskan highway, on everything. And it, it was just the most perfect connection you could ever have. It was miraculous, man. And I would credit them as being a huge reason why we felt so comfortable going into it because Obviously, you don't need that to do an adventure, but for your first one, a small town kid scared to death, flying literally across the continent, that was uh, that was an awesome experience to have with folks that we ended up, you know, being pretty close to after the experience. I mean, that's just the universe uh, saying yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it honestly gave us confidence to keep moving forward. Like, okay, this is supposed to happen. Like, this is absolutely supposed to happen. And so you asked what that first day was like, like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and dude, we we are stoked. They're, they're the butlers. Mary and Holland Butler is their names. And Holland's got this deep, gruff voice like this. He's just the most manly dude. And Mary's this sweet. She she packed us angel food cake to take with us, homemade angel food cake. Or uh, angel food cake. Angel cake. Yeah, why did I keep saying angel food cake? But anyway, they send us off. They, they, it's just like we're leaving our grandparents' house. And have you ever heard of the band Alabama? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I bought their greatest hits before the trip, and I put them all on my podcast, or I'm on podcast on my iPod. Yeah, iPod. Holy cow, that was 2011, and I had bought it from a friend for like 20 bucks, and I was listening to Roll On, like Roll On Highway, <laughs> Roll, on. and I was just like screaming at the top of my lungs going down the Alaskan Highway, and then it just within five miles of this trip, I'm just so high. I can't believe we're doing this. It's snow. It starts just snowing instantly, and I get a flat tire right away. And then there's these, you know, there's an air base there, and so there's these jets flying in and out. It is deafeningly loud. It's wet. It's icy. There was like some rogue moose in the road, and it just my spirits were crushed almost within the first hour, just because it was like, holy crap, this is really hard. <laughs> And uh, and so we we highly undershot our goals of mileage for the first days few days, but man, I can't reiterate enough. Sorry, you hear my kid back there. That's another adventure. We're a pro family podcast. No worries. Oh, perfect, man, perfect. I can't reiterate, man. We were just the most inexperienced people. That was only our probably second, maybe third time we had ridden bikes together of any substantial length, like over five miles. And so it was really an honestly just kind of go for it situation. But that first day was incredibly difficult. 
Well, that was going to be our next question is, I remember listening to the original podcast and it didn't sound like there was a ton of training involved. No. I mean, we both were pretty fit. We played college sports. Um, Paul, Paul's kind of a, a Navy SEAL that never that never answered that call. <laughs> so he's pretty, he's pretty uh, fit. I, on the other hand, not as naturally fit, but we were both athletic. And, and honestly, with sometimes when it comes to something like that, especially maybe a through hike or a bike tour where it's not really technical skills you need to know, it really is a lot of times you let the journey train you if it's long enough. Now, if you're doing, if you're doing a challenge that's like 500 miles in five days, you'll obviously want to train. But if you have a pretty extended time period and you know you can sacrifice a week or two to kind of let your body get into it, um, great. But I mean, if you have like 100 pounds to lose, I would obviously try to do that first. But there's plenty of people that start you know, through hikes overweight and out of shape and they, they, it really sucks for the first few weeks, but your body gets used to it pretty quick. Let's take a quick message break and hear from one of our sponsors. Support for Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your uh, most sensitive areas. Let's just put it that way. Uh, The third-generation Manscaped trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of people all over the world have been nick-free thanks to Manscaped Advanced Skin Safe Technology. I remember not long ago, I was making fun of my dad for not having a very hairy chest, and he told me that grass doesn't grow on the playground, baby. And uh, yeah, it might be more than you want to know about me and my dad's relationship, but I don't have that luxury. I do have more hair than him, and it needs to be groomed. And so I use Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 to make that happen. It is redesigned, it's electric, and it was engineered by a team that spent over 18 months perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created. So manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And even folks like me that do have hair to groom can do so gracefully. Each battery charge lasts up to 90 minutes. And if you're grooming for more than 90 minutes, you might need to see a doctor. You can get 20% off plus free shipping by using the code ADVENTURE at manscaped.com. And trust me, you and your partner will thank us. That's manscaped.com using the code ADVENTURE for 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com. All right, let's get back to the episode. Right, well, you know, I did the John Muir Trail, which is... Mm-hmm. Not nearly as long as riding a bike from Fairbanks, Alaska to Central Florida, but you know, I trained hard for that. I was running, I was lifting, I was doing you know all kinds of stuff. But to be honest, it didn't help that much. You know, having that base fitness, kind of like you you guys were saying, you and Paul had. I think that helped, but it's just nothing gets you in shape like the trail or the road. So I think um, I wouldn't discourage anyone from not doing a longer event just because you can't, you know, ride your bike 50 miles a day beforehand. So, yeah, absolutely, man. That's it, there's so many nuanced skills and movements and flexibilities that happen when you're carrying a 40 pound backpack on the John Muir Trail that you just don't you don't get from doing anything else other than just doing that. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, in normal life, no one can hike all day long to train. So you kind of have to just get that base fitness up so that you're kind of ready for adventure when it, when the opportunity arises, you know? Oh, for sure. 
We, you know, I did uh, my my training hack for when my daughter was younger. I would put on like a sixty pound weight vest and then stroll her around the neighborhood. But it was like this black kind of tactical looking vest. It just it was a very strange image, I think, for a lot of the neighbors. But. <laughs> Yeah, with your long flow. Yeah, exactly. You're like, what is this guy doing? Yeah, where's where is the world going? So I remember uh can we talk about the buffalo? Oh, sure, man. Yeah. What do you want to hear? You just want to hear the buffalo story? Yeah, let's hear it. Man, I'll say this, like so much happened on that trip that felt larger than life. I I will say I, I don't know I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life, of course, like what the years will bring, but I will say this Alaska trip was the most just epic movie worthy and just so um, you can't recreate your first experience, if that makes sense. And so no matter what I do, I think I'm always going to know, like I'm going to know what adventure and journey is like, even if it's a rowboat or a whatever medium. And this trip just had so many things that were just probably never be happening again to me, but the Buffalo was one of them, man. And you know, we don't know anything about, you know, bison is what they're really called, but we're, we're a couple weeks into this trip, slowly getting our, you know, biking legs and feeling more comfortable with around grizzlies and around these animals and around just the isolation that is on the Alaskan highway, other than tons and tons of logging trucks and RVs. And, um, it's a true adventure, man. It feels, it's an awesome to be out there and, we, we get into British Columbia. We just crossed through the Yukon Territory, and on the first day, there was this giant billboard that said, like, watch out for bison. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's, yeah, yeah we've, seen ton, we've seen a ton of animals, but no kidding, man. As soon as we crossed that sign, they were everywhere. It was like they knew to be behind that sign. It was like, holy cow, there's hundreds of them every day. And they're essentially, they behave like cattle, 99% of the time, they either run towards you or run away or just stand there just awestruck by what they're looking at as a cyclist. They don't care about cars. They see them all the time. They see they must see a fair amount of cyclists, but these they, they act like they haven't. So we're climbing up this pass on the very first day entering British Columbia, and it has been a long day. And it's, you know, getting close to June, so the sun's up for like 15, 18 hours a day. Yeah, probably 18, 18 to 20. It was... Uh, it was a long, long days. And uh, we get to climbing up this hill, and there's this thing laying in the grass, and we can't tell what it is. It looks like it could be a bear or a bison, and we get closer, and we're kind of like on the other side of the road not to get close and because, you know, there's hardly any other cars out for some reason that day. Like, it was pretty, pretty empty. And we get closer, man, and this thing pops up on all fours right as we were passing it, and it was this huge bison, and it just starts running, sprinting away from us. But it it was sprinting in the road. It, it had forever in each direction, woods and, and prairies of, of all kinds just to run into. You know what I mean? Like it was forested, but then there were meadows, and it just ran in the road. And right in front of us, it, it sounded like a horse, you know, and it was it was loud. But it, it, it just stayed in the lane, right in our lane, and just ran right in front of us. And we got over this hill and started going pretty quick and, and caught it. Like we were right, we had to press the brakes just to keep away from hitting it. We were probably, you know, we kept a safe distance, probably 50, 80 feet back. But this thing was just running 
not not sprinting at this point, just kind of pretty good pace, just running right in front of us. And dude, <laughs> it did this for ten miles. <laughs> like a few cars, we did see a few cars in that pretty much forty five minutes. It was doing that. And all of them stopped. All of them pulled over and were like, oh my God, this one trucker pulled over and he yelled out his window at us as we were flying by. He goes, I've never seen this before. <laughs> and I was like, I haven't either. <laughs> so this thing's just running, man. And what's so funny is it started getting tired because we could see it would turn to look back at us like it was like we were chasing it, like like it was afraid, scared to death of us. And every couple, every time it turned back and looked, we could see its foot and a half long tongue hanging out of its mouth. And it was just swinging like a cow's tongue. It was hilarious. <laughs> and then it, you know, the road flattens out and, uh, you know, there's another pass to go up. And so we slow down and the, it just keeps going, man. It goes out of sight. And so we're like, holy cow, that was a strange hour of our life. And up the up this hill was supposed to be this uh, this rest stop, and it was just about getting dusk. So it was probably like nine nine thirty at night at this point. We just were riding. We were just zombies, man. We just we we destroyed our bodies on this trip. We had no idea what we were doing. We would get up at noon, ride till midnight, eat crap the whole time and just stupid college kids honestly and just figuring it out so we were like you know we're gonna eat a bunch of junk food and probably go to bed but we get up to this this uh gas station this it was a bigger than that it was a rest stop with a hotel and everything it was on the map it said it would have stuff and we were getting low on food we pull up to it at the top of this hill and dude it was just just abandoned. There were weeds growing and everything. Every window was broken. Cars were just burned like on blocks. It was really eerie because the sun, the light was just, it was low enough. It was coming through the trees and it was getting cold. It was really bizarre feeling. And we were like, oh crap, you know, we need food and we need, um, you know, to play, you know, not we weren't going to stay, we we're going to camp, but we need food, of course, and just want We're looking forward to this. And so we're like, well, we're going to have to go another 40 miles to the next town tomorrow, you know, just make sure we get a little bit more tonight. And uh, we we just didn't even think about the Buffalo. But like I said, the, uh, the, the, the rest stop was on top of a hill. So there was another pretty good downhill coming for quite a few miles. Um, it was going to be going downhill. And we get closer to the edge and it says, you know, it's got one of those steep grade um, signs, you know, check your brakes and all that. And we're like, oh yeah, it's about to be some, some free miles. And out from in that freaking rest stop, man, we heard this huge bang and we look back and coming out, like it was pulling onto the road was that Buffalo, that bison again, oh, no. but this time it was behind us. And we could tell it was the same one because it had its tongue hanging out. And <laughs> it was like, and it had its horns down. It was sprinting this time, man. So it gets it gets onto the onto the, the asphalt again and is just running at us, just clicking its heels. And it was, I start screaming. And Paul starts screaming. And we're looking at each other like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, it, and it, dude, it gets within 30 feet of us 
before we crest the hill enough to gain enough speed to, to get, go faster. I mean, we're probably going 30, you know, they're, they're pretty fast when they're running, but you know, it's hard to go 30 on a bike when you're fully loaded with gear, unless it's, you're going downhill. Um, our bikes were probably like 80 pounds at that point. So it was, it was, we had a lot of junk that we didn't need. Let's just put it that way. Um, didn't know what we were doing. If I can't, if I haven't said that already, we get going we go down a couple turns. It's probably, I don't know, I mean, just maybe a, it was a lot shorter downhill than I thought, a mile or two. And then there was, you cross a river and you got to go back up another pass. And I was like, oh God, we got to get out here and hide or this thing's <laughs> going to catch us because it's coming. And we jump off the bikes and we go to push them into the woods. And I turn around and probably 200 yards back around the corner, here comes the buffalo kicking up a cloud of dust behind it. (laughs) Now we got to go up this hill because it saw us. We can't just hide now. So we start huffing and puffing up this pass. It's probably, it's, it's probably like a third of a mile, just straight up to another plateau. And we're like, dude, we got to make it up this. And we start just cranking the pedals and going like four miles an hour, maybe. And this thing is gaining on us and it gets close again, man. And then it just stops and stares at us. And we didn't take any chances. We decided to go ahead and crest the hill. But when you got to the top, it flattened out and you could see for like a couple miles and all along the road, when we got up there, were just more bison just tons of them all like cows resting for the night. And I said, there is no way in hell that we're going to be pedaling anymore and disturb any of those. So we couldn't see the other one at this point that was chasing us. So we just pushed our bikes probably 50 yards into the woods, super thick forest and just sit there. It's pretty much dark at this point. It's, it's, it's pretty dark. You don't need headlamps quite yet, but it's getting there. And we, we are like, all right, I think we're good. Let's set up our tent. And so we go, we have to walk probably 30 feet from our tent just to find a spot big enough to put a two-person tent down. So we set up the tent. We walk back to our bikes that are leaning against trees, and we grab all our sleeping stuff. And I heard my buddy Paul, he turned around before me. He said, holy mackerel. And I remember because I'm like, who says holy mackerel anymore? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I turned around, man. And on the other side of our freaking tent is the buffalo standing there <laughs> looking at us, just breathing. It was going to kill us for making it run a marathon. And I knew it was the same one because his tongue was hanging out. <laughs> and dude, without any hesitation, it was probably two seconds. You know how that it feels like longer, but it just looked at us, it was totally still, and then it just sprinted away from us back to the road and presumably towards those other bison. And it just, you could hear its feet hitting the asphalt till it got out of earshot. And we were so paranoid that night, we could hardly sleep because we were like, we're just going to come here in the middle of the night and lay on top of us and kill us because <laughs> they're like 2,000 pounds. <laughs> and yeah, that was really freaky, really eerie. And we saw hundreds more. Never had an experience like that with another bison. So that was that was the bison story. <laughs> that is freaking wild, man. I mean, in the episode I listened to, you you kind of it was more of a kind of general description, but uh gosh, man, that's uh that's like horror movie status there. You know, it was crazy. It was crazy. It felt crazy in the moment, but I remember having a 
a, a moment where I thought, this is going to be a cool story if we get through this. Like, and yeah, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm glad it happened. It was fun looking back. What's funny is that my, the next thing I was going to bring up is what was your craziest story from the trip? Would you say it's that one or are there others? Man, there's, there are a lot of crazy stories. I'd say with an animal encounter, that was, that was one. There were other like heartfelt things that happened, you know, you know, I, I don't know. I've met cool people that like took me in for the night and, um, I don't know. There, there's been a lot of cool things happen, but it was one night in Montana, man. We got, we got a ride from this guy who was obviously drunk and driving, but we felt that we should go with him. Like, I can't explain it. If I felt like I, we need to go with this guy and we ended up going with him and we, ha- we had to like reach over and grab a oh, wheel. It was that, it was like, what are we doing? But we get back to his house and we just have the most wonderful experience with him and his wife. And, you know, he was struggling with alcoholism. He had, was struggling with like purpose in life. And so we just stayed up really late in the night having these amazing conversations and, and, you know, we, we say goodbyes tearfully the next morning after we stay in their beautiful Montana lodge and, um, just tons of stuff like that happened that you just can't, when you plan an adventure, you can't plan for the favorite parts of your adventure. You're not even planning for, you know what I mean? Like you're training, you're, you're, you're preparing all this equipment. Um, but the things you're going to leave from an adventure are just those things that you, you don't even know what they are yet, whether it's some sort of amazing meal or some experience with an animal or another person, or just a moment that you're just not even foreseeing at this point, if that makes sense. And, and that's what was so surprising about that adventure was how much happened that we never, we didn't even have the imagination to think that would ever happen, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, and it's, I love that about those, these longer, especially the human power trips, but those longer trips where you're not, the trip itself is kind of a gateway or a portal into all these different interactions and experiences that, like you said, you just, you can't plan these things and, but you have to do this kind of putting your out, putting yourself out there, or you have to put yourself out there in these situations so that you can, you know, at least have the opportunity. So that's I'm sure there's hundreds more stories you have like that. And what what I wanted to ask you is I remember in that episode I listened to, I remember there was uh, an instance where you guys were camping and there was like tornado sirens going off and someone came at you with a, a, a gun. Oh, yeah, with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, same trip. I'm telling you, this trip was crazy. <laughs> we're in the middle of Nebraska, right? And... uh I was on the phone. We, we we get we're in the middle of Nebraska. And I, you know, if you ever been there, parts of it at least, it's just tons of cornfields. A lot of it's not. A lot of it's really Nebraska's really cool. Actually, really enjoyed it. This might have been Kansas at this point, right at the border. But uh, there's a baseball field out in the cornfields, like to feel the dream thing. But it's close to this high school, so it's their their uh, um, baseball field. And I just thought. You know, this was kind of before smartphones too. Honestly, I didn't have a smartphone. My buddy did have an iPhone one. Um, no, no, smartphones were around. We were just poor college students. That's that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, I think iPhone came out in 07. So yeah, it'd been out a while. <laughs> but we were just broke, and so we had paper maps. That's all we had for the trip, and um, like literally an atlas. 
So, so we, we don't check weather. We don't do anything. Like we don't know anything that's coming really other than we just draw our route on a, on a, with a highlighter on a, on a map. And we had go through this little town, tons of them out there. And we, it's getting close to dark cornfields everywhere. We see this baseball field and thought, let's just go sleep in the dugout or, uh, you know, somewhere where there's, it's clear grass under a tree. And so we go set up for the night and it's getting dark. And, and my, my cousin calls me and he was, um, he was actually, he had quit drinking. He was just looking for some kind of moral support. And so I was talking to him. He was real worried about finding new friends because when you give up alcohol, a lot of times you give up your social life too. And so I was just encouraging him like, hey man, you know, he was an alcoholic. And I was just on the phone with him, talking, just encouraging him, telling him about the venture. And through the, I'm walking through the cornfield and through the corn, you know, um, stalks, a light just, shines out of nowhere right at me and underneath the light is the barrel of a gun and this guy was like what are you doing here and i said hey man i am biking across the country to build an orphanage (laughs) and he's like that's probably the first time he's ever heard that so he didn't really talk at all and i just explained i'm like hey man you know we're, we're college students that was the great getaway right there we're college students um you know, we're biking across country. We're doing this for charity. Uh, we're just camping here at the baseball field tonight and we'll be gone tomorrow. And he said, okay. And just backed out and back into the, the freaking corn stalks, man. It was really wild. And I was on the phone still. And I was like, I won't say his name, but I said to my cousin, Hey man, this just happened. And he's like, are you kidding me? And I walked back to the tent and told Paul and it was just like another thing, man. It was really bizarre how, Stuff like that seemed to happen every night, every day. And then we go to bed. Within two hours, man, our tent is about to rip apart and tornado sirens are going off. And so we're like, oh, my God, I opened the tent and it looked like a movie scene. There was just lightning. The The clouds were just pitch black with lightning it, it looked like just the gate of hell was opening up on these big storms. It was really really bizarre and freaky. And I just thought, we just laid there and thought, well, there's really nowhere we can go. So let's just hope the tornado doesn't go over us. And it didn't, it didn't let up for hours. We ended up falling asleep in it just out of exhaustion. And we woke up and everything's strewn everywhere. Our bikes are on the ground and it's muddy. And we get up the next morning and go into the closest gas station. And there's just a bunch of old, good old boys sitting there at the diner. And they're like, where the hell did y'all come from? <laughs> so we sit and talk with them for a while. They brought, buy us a couple biscuits and it was just another day, man. It was, but it was, it was cool. It was, it was really fun. Time for a quick message break. CS instant coffee is definitely the best instant coffee I've ever had. In fact, just out of convenience and how good it tastes, I decided for the last year, I've been taking it on every single adventure I go on from backpacking to bike tours, uh, just from convenience sake, it's really high quality and it keeps me from having to take a bunch of other equipment out in the woods. Uh, but it's not just for going out on adventures. My wife actually takes some to work every single day with her. She takes a couple packs, uh, to refill her coffee mug, uh, as a teacher, she doesn't have a ton of time to, um, have to, you know, make fresh 
coffee all the time. So she just needs a little hot water, can pour the coffee in, and she's ready to go for her next class and not waste a lot of time. So if you're crunched for time in your job, uh, I would definitely suggest giving it a shot because they have been huge supporters of the show for the last year. And I really appreciate everything they've done for us. And it would mean a lot to me to go support them. So if you're interested, go to csinstant.coffee and uh, support those who are supporting the show. It would go a long way. Thank you. All right, let's get back to the episode. You know, I think uh, I think you could write an epic coming-of-age movie script and sell it for millions of dollars to Hollywood, so some to consider um, for a, a side side project. But uh, so to me, what's always been interesting about these longer trips, it, it's, it's the ending. You know, it's especially when they're longer, you kind of get in this flow state where time kind of ceased to exist. The day doesn't matter. The month doesn't matter. What's what was it like those final few days once you're getting close to home and once you got home? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we weren't by any means out in the wilderness, so so a lot of people would say, you know, this wasn't the most hardcore thing, you, you know, trip I've ever heard of. And I think it's all relative, man. You know, like for me, it felt like I was on top of Everest. You know what I mean? Like it was that kind of experience coming from my background, but. Um, Sorry, you said got, as we got towards the end. My apologies. Oh no! So, you know, for me, like I've, I've, I think the longest. Well, I guess I did a two month um, overseas trip, but you know, it wasn't contiguous. Like it wasn't this one adventure I was doing. And so, what I'm curious is like, once you're getting close to home, what's it like? What, what's going through your head as you're getting close to home, and that feeling of this trip ending that's been so. There's so many awesome things, so many stories, and. It's like you don't want it to end, but you're excited kind of for the next phase. What, what was that like, the, the, the finale of that? So uh, we had to get back um, before the semester started because I had to start school. And also my buddy Paul, his girlfriend, was graduating college. So he had to be there for that. And uh, uh, obviously they had been together for like ever. And they're married now with two kids. Um, so it worked out. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, they're great. He's my best friend. Um, man, as you get closer, it's so weird. Like, uh, you know, it, it was obviously less dramatic scenery. You know, we were going through, um, beautiful places, but we were actually getting to more scary places. Like we went through Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, parts of Alabama, and there were back roads of Mississippi that honestly gave me more fear than, than parts of, of, of the world I've been in and really poor places it was really really backwoodsy and really um felt incredibly unsafe at places so i'd say in some ways it was a lot easier but in other ways it was like dang this is really still an adventure and it was adventure up until the last day we had some people join us at the florida border one of our basketball friends who was not a cyclist, but he joined us and his parents dropped him off with us. And I bet they were thinking like, who the hell did we just leave our kids with? Cause Paul and I looked like, I'll just say this, Paul, every time we go through an airport, Paul gets stopped. He is, uh, he's, he has a dark complexion, dark hair. He's very <laughs> serious all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm kind of this long stringy, redheaded, goofy white, white guy. 
with two months of hair growing out, Paul had hair down to his shoulders and a giant beard. He we looked rough, man. And uh, as we got closer to to home, more and more people joined us. So one of our basketball coaches joined us, but he's a he was a wild man because he didn't even have brakes on his bike. He he just grabbed it out of his garage and and he ended up being a, quite a liability for us because he kept running into things. He ran into cars and we kept having to stop and deal with it. And he ran into stop signs and just fell off his bike a number of times. This is like within 10 miles of the finish and we couldn't get there. And then on the very last day, man, I'm at, I'm at, we're at an intersection waiting and this homeless man is talking to me and he's drunk as can be. What are you guys doing? Why are all these people on bikes? And I was like, we just rode from Alaska and we're, we're almost done and we're building an orphanage. And he goes, no way. And he hands me a lotto ticket. He goes, man, he goes, I just won like 20 bucks you can have this. He goes, I want you to donate it to the orphanage. And it was a really touching moment. And he handed me the, the, the ticket and, uh, and he was holding on to the stop sign, the light post. And then he was like, Oh no, man, that's too much money. And he took it back and he walked away. (laughs) I was starting to get all choked up for a second. I know I was, this is going to be a story I'd tell about, you know, the power of doing something. And then this guy was, he had his opportunity, you know what I mean? He had his opportunity to do something and he didn't. Maybe he gave it to somebody else, but no, man, as we get closer, it was, it was a surreal feeling getting to the finish of, of something like that. And, you know, if you come from a back, you know, a family of adventures, that might not sound like a crazy adventure to you, but just like you said, man, my, to my family, this was the, this was about as equivalent as going to the moon. It was just the most bizarre. I can't tell you how little support we found in our families, or both of our families. We find out when we get home that everyone's taking bets that we're going to quit, where we're going to quit, and if we're going to die or not. And so <laughs> people like were like, hey, here's your $5. <laughs> and it was like, really? And everyone just starts admitting what they thought when, they, when you first told them. Wow, you guys really did not support this at all. Who bet that you would die? Oh man, one of uh one of my friend Paul's his friend his his dad's friend actually apologized to us. He goes, "Man, I actually bet your dad that you'd die on the trip." And I realized how just <laughs> terrible of a bet that was. <laughs> Most people bet that we would we would quit before Montana. And uh but man, you know, once we got back, all our families were there. It was kind of a, you know, we'd raised a lot of money. Um, we had, you know, done a social media campaign and been on a couple news outlets and it was just really, it was really rewarding combining adventure with a purpose and everyone was there waiting on us. We had a big barbecue. We rode straight to my buddy's house, um, in central Florida, right to his driveway. And I don't know, just seeing the look on my family's face, like, holy crap, you did it. Uh, it was just something I'll never forget and something I always want to, I always want to recreate that somehow. I always, you know, there was this feeling of completion that I'd never felt before. And so that's kind of what started the whole thing. And that's kind of what led to essentially five more cross country trips and, uh, all kinds of other adventures and honestly, all kinds of other pursuits, it, it, you know, that the lessons you learned really translate to everything in life. And for better or worse, I've made a lot of my decisions based in life since based on the lessons I learned in that trip. And so um, the legacy of it continues. I don't want to be one of these guys that just always talks about, you know, you know, his college football days or something or your high school, whatever days. 
I don't want to be that guy that's just always talking about that one adventure, but you know, I, I, it is something I reflect back on a lot and think that was a really important experience in life at a, at a perfect time. And, uh, I don't know what I'd be different, how I'd be different if I hadn't done it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely, man. No, man. I think, you know, first of all, you're, you're extremely downplaying the, uh, the magnitude of that adventure. I mean, how many miles was that ride? It was 5,300, the route we took. Crazy. What, what you're making me think of is there's, it's such a, um, kind of a rite of passage, right? And it, it teaches you self-reliance yeah. and problem solving and all these things that, you know, I think existed back more in the kind of hunter gatherer days. But, you know, I, I was fortunate to have a similar experience as a wilderness ranger when I was still in college and, you know, I wasn't riding my bike 5,300 miles across the country, but I was out in the wild on my own. And, you know, I, I still talk about that regularly. I mean, the monkeys are probably sick of that, but, um, you know, it it is something that's, it does, it's such an important, I think, especially for guys, it's such an important part of that kind of coming in age and going from a boy to a man. And it's, um, something I think that's been a little bit lost, especially in Western culture. So, oh man, just hearing that, hearing your reflections and your excitement, I can just, I can see that look in your eye, you know, thinking back on it's, um. I appreciate you sharing it with the with the monkeys. Heck yeah, man! I, I appreciate it. You asking great questions. Thank you. No, and uh, gosh, I want to be respectful of your time. I had, I know you'd done, you've done the tour divide. You did a bike tour around a bunch of national parks, kind of in the southwest and west. You've done the Colorado Trail. You've done all these epic things. But what I wanted to talk about was before we before we go two things was one is so you have a how old is your son now he is nine months old now yeah you can probably hear him right now crying <laughs> and we had a great conversation about this um a couple weeks back mason and i met up in denver and just had an awesome conversation thank you again and uh we were talking about just how how does being a dad affect adventure or i guess the better question is how are you approaching adventure now that you're a dad man you know i'll be honest nine months has flown by, so I don't know if I figured anything out, but I've got a couple big adventures planned this week, this, this year. Um, but you know, just a little, just a little bit of where I am. I, I had a couple injuries on my last adventure and, uh, I tried to climb all the 14ers at once, which was really stupid because I wasn't nearly prepared and bike between them all. A couple people have done it, but I got through like a third of it before my knees just gave out. And, uh, Come to find out, I have pretty bad arthritis in my knees, so it's kind of caused me to kind of, and this is right around, you know, I find this out recently, so it's, you know, when we're having a kid, I'll be honest, I was pretty resistant towards having a child at, at first. It was really big point of contention with my wife and I, because I thought it would just take away this whole life. And what really encouraged me was, you know, interviewing people on my podcast, people like you, who who I do respect and I do admire and I do want to emulate who have kids. And I just think, you know, that's just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I was really resistant. And then I just thought about some of the lessons I had learned on, on these experiences and thought, you know what? I said, just screw it. Let's just do it with all these other trips especially the first one. That's how that, that's the attitude that, that got it done. I'm going to do that with a kid. Like, you know, it's going to make Emily happy. I know I'm going to love this thing. I know I'm going to really want to be a dad when I see it. Um, it, I guess I was just pretty afraid 
of having a child because it would interfere with my adventures. But man, not being nine months into it, it's like the greatest thing in the whole world. Like I didn't, I thought I loved my dogs before, before this. <laughs> now I'm like, y'all can, y'all can go run away if you want to. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, not really, but you know what I'm saying? Like the love I feel for my son, Leon is just so much greater and so much. I don't know what the world of adventure is going to be like. Cause my desires are different. You know, I don't want to be gone for three months. I want to, I want to now help other people have adventures. So I doubt I'll do anything that I doubt that. I mean, it's very possible. I'll never do something again that people are like, whoa, but I also don't need that as much as I used to. I want to help this person do their adventure. I want to help fund this guy's adventure, you know, answer questions or, you know, I'm act like I'm some old retired guy. I'm not, but at this, at this specific stage in life, I don't know, man. I don't feel like adventure is at all less possible. Um, I just feel like my imagination's different. That was extremely well said. No, I think, um, you know, I think, again, we're culturally, we're culturally kind of conditioned that, you know, you have kids, your life's over, it's going to be stressful, you're not going to have time, money, expenses, all this stuff. But like you said, it's just, it's all about your attitude. And I, I feel the same way, you know, it's just, it's been a shift in attitude and desire and just, um, you know, making my, my goals meet, meet the situation. And, you know, there's also the factor of you don't want to be gone. You want to experience their childhood and see them all these little changes. Like we talked about how they're like this seed that just, it keeps growing every day. And then next, thing you know, they're jumping off couches and whatnot. But, um, no, it really, it was really encouraging when we talked a few weeks back, just hearing your attitude and perspective. And I think there's a lot of other folks out there that are in similar situations. So I appreciate that. Yeah, man. And and I'm actually interested. You said you don't come from this background and I don't either. My my dad's pretty wild. He's he's a he's a wild man, man. You gotta have him on the show. This guy is nuts. And I will say he he that's probably I inherited some of that and probably put it towards a more positive use in life. He's crazy, but I love him to death. I I cannot wait to see what kids that grow up in like your house and my house are like who have this kind of mindset of let's go do it all the time. Cause you know, it took us kind of doing it on our own. I wonder what it's going to, how, how they're going to be affected having that be more of a natural part of life. Like I want him to go do solo trips pretty young. I want him to have these pretty scary situations that help him grow early on. And you know what I'm saying? Like, is it going to be, is he just going to reach new and new levels that I never could? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if you ever think about that. Right. No, no, I hear you, man. I think it's um kind of like I was saying earlier. I think it's it, it's presenting the possibility and encouraging that imagination for those kind of those rites of passage, you know, especially, you know, late teens, early 20s when it's you're so impressionable and it's so it's so good to explore the world and have these interactions with people and kind of build your one, your self-reliance and your, your faith and humanity as well. You know, like you're saying most the vast, vast majority are kind, welcoming. They're ready to help you at the drop of a hat. So absolutely. Absolutely. That's the biggest lesson I've learned that, that right there, faith and humanity, people are good and everything you hear constantly on news and, and Twitter, it's really, really skewed. Oh yeah, absolutely. I got one more thing for you. Yeah, go for it. I want to talk about Athletic Brewing, which is non-alcoholic craft beer, which is 
delicious. I highly recommend it. Mason was kind enough to hook me up with some and uh, I'm hooked. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked and it's a, it's a good thing it's NA beer because I could get, um, get dangerous. But I, yeah, I would just love to hear you talk about your role for athletic brewing. Maybe talk a little about the company and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this baby up. Yeah. I appreciate you, uh, you know, mentioning that I, they, they, it's like the first real job I've ever had, <laughs> but, uh, no, just dude, it's so crazy. You can draw a timeline from where you are now to, you know, where you've been like, okay, this opportunity led to this and this and this Well, through adventure, I eventually got hooked up with this podcast, adventure sports, eventually took it over. I'm just kind of a roundabout way. And then through that got led to athletic brewing where I work now. And it's a, yeah, like you said, non-alcoholic craft beer. And the reason um, I didn't start it or anything. I just, I run their ambassador program and I kind of plan all their adventures. They're extremely adventurous people. And so I use my skills biking across, you know, all the time I didn't spend going to internships. I went biking instead across country. It's finally paying off. Take that mom and dad. <laughs> so, no, nah, just kidding. You know, it, it's so many people are turning like you and I, just a healthy direction in life. Maybe they're just now discovering a sport or adventure or something they really want to do. And they're also have a lot of responsibilities, whether it's work, kids, or both. Um, as we get older, we just, our lives get more busy and need to be more organized. And what often doesn't fit in that is, you know, late nights drinking with friends or morning hangovers. You know, I can have two beers. And I will have a pretty good headache the next day, especially if I go hiking in the mountains, because it just kind of, you know, you know, excel, you know, magnifies that effect. And so even two beers now is like, what's more important to me, having two beers or climbing a 14er? Obviously, but, but here's the thing. Those two beers are often had with friends. So that's important. The social aspect is important. So non-alcoholic craft beer is for people who want that but also want to watch their kids, you know, little league game the next morning, or also want to go trail running or want to go mountain bike or want to live this Colorado lifestyle the next day. And so there's so many situations now. And in fact, since I've started working with them, I've just cut back on alcohol almost altogether. It, it, it quenches my thirst. It's a great, it, it's, it's, it's brewed exactly like beer. There's just a, a patent process, patented process that keeps alcohol's level levels low. So um, it's a great company, hugely supportive of crazy ideas, obviously. Non-alcoholic craft beer is a pretty crazy idea in itself. So we love adventures. A lot of our ambassadors are through hikers and trail runners and, and just, you know, ocean rowers, all kinds of crazy people. So if anyone out there who, who, who is interested and wants to try the beer, man, please reach out to me. Um, it's, it's, it's a really cool product and people are loving it. Yeah, I 100% vouch for that. And I remember the ingredients, is it is it all organic ingredients? I know there there's um that was um kind of a something yeah. you guys are doing as well, right? Yep, it's made with all organic, all natural. There's nothing that goes into it that makes it non-alcoholic. It's just what we prevent it from happening. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing extra. It's not burn off, uh, you know, like a lot of normal NA beers like Odul's is a burn off uh kind of process, but what that burns off as well as alcohol is, is a lot of flavor. So this is craft beer. We, we win gold medals constantly at, at, at international beer festivals running up against alcoholic beers. And so it's, 
non-alcoholic beers here, man. And uh, this is one of the communities we're definitely growing the most in is the Boulder, Denver area, Colorado in general. So um, you'll start seeing it. We're available at Total Wines, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's. And uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it, it's really not just the drink. It's the lifestyle they promote. It's get out there, make something happen, do something crazy start a podcast start a company where you're you know selling workout equipment that can hang over a door you know go do something like that you know what i mean like i'm a monkey man i, I use my monkey bars every day dude do you know that glad to hear that it's awesome it's great and i do i love rowing i love rows so that's perfect hanging over the door and i'm gonna use them tonight i gotta work out tonight heck yeah well and you know what? i wanted to uh because you're doing you're gonna do that you're doing a kayak trip from the bahamas is it bahamas back to florida yeah, yeah, Bahamas to Florida, man. And so that, you know, that's an example. Oh, sorry. Were you going to ask a question about it? Well, uh, I've got a, I want to send you the IsoCore because I think it will be a good complement to that type of training. But please continue. Oh, man. I, w- I would love to because I-, I will say, you know, we were talking about it as we were walking through the snow back to our cars after the meal that we had together downtown last week. Um, there's so many adventures that like that are, sound cool, but you just know you can do them. Not not that you have the skills, but there's something about them that doesn't spark you, uh, even though you've never done it. I don't know. I, I that happens to me sometimes. Um, and, but but something I'm like, what's an experience I know nothing about? And that's ocean kayaking. I've never I've kayaked a lot in Florida, lakes and rivers, and a little bit in the ocean, but nothing like crossing something, a strait or a sea. And there was this opportunity to go to the Bahamas and kayak back to Florida. And it's literally a one day event. It's, it's like 12 hours. And I thought, I'm terrified of the ocean and I'm terrified of just sharks. And I'm, I, oh, it just freaks me out just thinking about seeing shadows in the water. And I'm also, I really get seasick. <laughs> and so I'm, I don't know if I can do that. Even though it's one day, I don't know if I can actually complete that. And then for some reason, that just drew me to it. And so now I'm training for it. I signed up for the, it's an event, um, that with support boats and stuff. So I thought, okay, as much as I'm will, you know, probably capable of freaking out in the ocean, I better have some support there just in case. And before I try a solo trip and, uh, I don't know, man, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's bringing up a lot of those same feelings with the first Alaska trip. I've never done that. I don't know if I can do it. And that is intriguing for some reason. And, even though this is literally a hundredth of the length and it, it just feels the same, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if it's the, the certainty of an adventure kind of takes away from the experience. It's that, it's that unknown of these things or the unknowing, at least if you can do it, I think that adds uh, that magic to it. So I'm really stoked to hear how that goes for you, man. Yeah. I, I wish you could join man. Maybe, well, if not this year, let's, let's, Try to do it another year. Okay, get a double. Kayak. Well, I'm still. Uh, I, I still. Mason and I had talked about, or actually, I invited myself. Being fully transparent, I invited myself on a trip that he was planning on doing, uh, paddleboarding and kayaking from Havana, Cuba. It's it was Havana, right? Cuba back to Florida. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that sparks that sparks some wildness in me. So yeah, I would love to do that, but um. Hey, man, I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate you coming on the Live Wild or Die podcast. And I want to say, folks, you got to check out Adventure Sports Podcast. you got to check out Athletic Brewing. Mason, where can folks find you? Yeah, those two places. I'm on Instagram. I don't don't know my handle. I think it's just look at my name, Mason Gravely. Uh, 
Well, damn, man, I really appreciate it, man. You're 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 inspiring too. I love just talking with you. You're a great guy, and it's been just so great to get to know you. And I appreciate you having me on and just you know spreading spreading the monkey love in this community, man. You guys are you guys are you guys are wild. That's for sure. <laughs> thank you, thank you. La- last final question is. You don't, it's what is your dream adventure? You don't have to consider money. You don't have to consider time. You don't have to consider missing out on family. What would be your dream adventure? Wow. You know, that's something I really want to do in the next handful of years. Um, I can't dream beyond this maybe. So because my, my, my feel like my knees are never going to be what they used to be. I love, I would love to get into adventure motorcycle, you know, travel, my motorcycle touring. I'd love to attempt an FKT of the Pan American Highway from, you know, Ushuai, you know, Argentina, all the way up to Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, which is, you know, 15, 18,000 mile Pan American Highway on a motorcycle. I think the most realistic um, dream adventure. I'd love to do that. That uh, you certainly have have not lost your imagination for adventure. So stoked to see that happen, my man. <laughs> we'll see. You know, it's not mountaineering. It's not by the. You know, it's not human powered necessarily. But uh, I don't know. Another one would be human powered pole to pole, South Pole to North Pole by human power. But that might be beyond me at this point. <laughs> <sighs> the imagination does not cease. Yeah, man. That's a great question. Well, uh, Mason, you're the man. Thank you. And uh, again, folks, you got to check out Adventure Sports Podcast. Check out Athletic Brewing. Keep getting wilder. We'll see you guys out there. Monkey on. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes. Share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventure sports podcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.